And again, like, I still think that you will be able to go out and get food. It just won't be what it was. I feel like that it'll look there completely was like, different. Yeah. And I think a lot of it's like the food trucks or, you know, that the chef that does his burger pop up once a month, but maybe that changes chef dinners that are now on a farm that happen. So you can kind of incorporate that whole experience. So you don't need to get the millions of dollars that it costs to build a restaurant and to try to stay in business. This is the Farm Hop Life Podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt DeRozier. On the Farm Hop Life Podcast, we learn what it takes to grow your own food from everyday people. Could be a college student who grows tomatoes and salad greens on their apartment patio, a former VP of marketing for Del Taco now raising cattle in Montana, or someone who hasn't had a homestead in over 10 years. This show is aimed at teaching you what it takes to make homesteading work for you, that we all make mistakes, we all have bad days, but we can reach out and help one another thrive and giving you the confidence needed to go feed yourself. I was curious, like I asked you just like a general question through like Twitter DM, you know, like, hey, what's your farm like or whatnot? And you said, you know, you don't have one yet, but you've done like some form hopping, right? Yeah. And so, so tell me a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah. So, um, like I had mentioned, my background is actually in kitchens. So the last 10 years or so, various roles of hospitality, about eight of that was working, uh, back a house. And so when COVID happened in 2020, I was working in the Bay area and, um, everything shut down obviously. So you're kind of left scrambling. Okay. Like, well, what am I going to do? And in my head for, I think my own mental health purposes, it's like, okay, well, let's imagine a situation where these restaurants never come back. You can't cook again. What are we going to do? It's like, okay, well, people still got to eat, right? And so this idea of um, working on a farm uh, kind of popped up. And like in that summer, I got linked up with a program through Chef Dan Barber, Stone Barn Center, and Woof called Harvest Corps. And they had brought together uh, chefs and farmers. Uh, to kind of talk about like what's this new food system going to look like right it was like a really oh. good like kind of like a, it occupied my time it gave me something to do and it was kind of cool to think like okay if this doesn't come back what's the thing going forward how's this going to work and so i ended up in the pacific northwest for a few weeks kind of traveling some farms and seeing stuff and through that program i realized i wanted to do a full season on a farm to really like see what it looked like so I just started cold emailing uh, people across the country. I got on the Atra site. I don't know if you're familiar. Um, no. Is that like Woof? Uh, no, it's through, I forget what the acronym is. It's like N-C-A-T or something, but it's like Atra, A-T-T-R-A. And they'll usually list like uh, internships and like some of them paid, some of them aren't. And I just started cold emailing. And as someone that didn't have any farm experience really, outside of like maybe a few days here and there, like at a community garden, uh, I got a lot of no's. Uh, I actually got a lot of silence more than anything. A lot of people right. just didn't email me back, but I ended up going to North Carolina. Um, and uh, I was out there for about 15 months uh, working on a farm out there. That was uh, about a hundred acres. I'd say of what was in production was maybe like two, two and a half uh, mar market garden style. Uh, about 40 or 50 crops a year we would do uh, and then we would market in Charlotte and then on top of that um, I, the last part of my time there I spent in charge of like a small herd of uh, pigs pasture red pigs we'd send about maybe like 35 to market a year and I really really loved working with the pigs it was like a it's a really good part of my day and I, I looked forward to it a lot I thought about them like all the time and it was like really fun and so um, I kind of got involved in farming through my love of food and on the culinary side. But oddly enough, I got into kitchens because I loved farmer's markets. Like I got, I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't it's really. come full circle. <laughs> yeah. And so like I grew up a child of the 80s, like canned green beans that I thought were green beans until my 20s. And uh, when you have one at a, at a farmer's market, it, it changed my life. And so I, I got really into like food culture and eventually kind of uh, made a leap into back a house. And was doing that and then got to go to the farm. Um, and that was really, really cool to kind of make that connection. Because uh, I knew when I went, even if I didn't farm full time, if I thought, okay, let's say I do go back to a restaurant, 
that knowledge would be uh, priceless. I'd be able to take that back to a kitchen and the way that I work with vendors that would have stuff come and like people that sell to you. Uh, also the way that you would approach it. And also it's just kind of one of those things that like um, everyone talks about food. Um, growing up, I played in a bunch of bands and I thought that uh, music was the thing that kind of tied everything together. But what I found out was that um, some people just don't like music and like that it's rare maybe, but like they're not like into music. Sure. You don't find them all the time, but it is something that's like you don't need it to live. Whereas like food, everyone eats and how everyone okay. eats, I found to be very interesting. Even if you are only eating like, let's say Kraft Mac and cheese, there's still a story behind why are you eating Kraft Mac and cheese? How do you make your Kraft Mac and cheese? And um, so that kind of connection, once I got to the farm, like really kind of solidified for me. So it kind of came, like I'd said, like from food. Uh, I thought it was always going to be about food, but then uh, I got really into like the soil and all. it kind of just opened up a, a whole other can of worms, so to speak, uh, outside of just culinary purposes. Wow, man, that's kind of a, that's a really cool story. Thank you. It was, so it's been pretty crazy <laughs> to go back even further. So you said farmers markets got you into like the culinary arts. So, so like, did you go like go to the farmers markets with your parents or something like that? Like on no. the weekends or no, uh, I had an apartment in my early twenties and it was like the, like the first one, I don't know, I was probably 22 or something. And there's a, there was a really big market by my house that happened every Sunday. And it would, it was like, the market uh that like you know the chefs would go to and it was like the large i don't know if for certain but i'm gonna say the largest one of the week that you would find it and it was year round underneath this overpass and so you'd go and it'd be really fun to go because it's so big and busy and like you could get coffee and or whatever you'd like just people watch but mm -hmm. uh so it was something that i would just do but you would get something like an ingredient that let's say you know, in my early 20s, I can't really feed myself all that great. And you're like, I don't know what to do with this. And whoever was working that stand would be like, oh, you should try it this way. You could blanch it. You could do this. And so it was just a really fun thing to do that I kind of learned to teach myself to cook just to feed myself or maybe to feed some friends. And like that kind of kickstarted the whole thing that ended up eventually going, hey, I should probably maybe try to do this professionally. Man, that's awesome. So like, so then what you just kind of did you go to culinary school or did you just get in at a restaurant and just like learn from the bottom up? Yeah. I ended up just kind of getting into the place that I was going to. Um, and like, I kind of just asked, I, I, they needed some extra help and I like would grab a couple of shifts. Um, and when I got kind of serious about it and I was like, Hey, like this might work out. Uh, maybe I should do this. I was thinking about going to culinary school. Um, and what's interesting enough is uh, I had asked like a chef, that would come to the place that I worked at a lot. And I kind of was just like annoying him and like picking his ear about like career stuff. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, the advice that he ended up giving me was you're already working. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I was like, well, what do you mean? He was like, you don't need to go to culinary school because you're already in. And so like, just keep working and like, you're not going to get the great job right away, but you keep plugging away and you move your way up. And so in some ways, like I, I have, regretted not going to culinary school as far as like maybe some technique stuff or just depth of knowledge but in other ways it was really fun to kind of just figure it out on my own and to just do the work so to speak and to yeah. just kind of uh find your own way of uh figuring stuff out like i'm definitely not super fancy by any means i would never uh describe myself that like i would say i'm not even that great of a cook but i just <laughs> I work really hard and I have a lot of heart. So like I always could kind of keep up even if like my technical ability wasn't always there. And so maybe not going to culinary school deprived me of maybe some professional opportunity. Um, but at the same time, I feel like the way that I did it, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and it ended up being where I, I, I did enjoy the just figuring it out part of like, okay, well, how do I get in at a different kitchen or, Basically, it just kind of comes down to just being willing to do the stuff that no one else wants to do and just being super open and like, I'll do this, I'll do this and not having an ego and the idea of if you don't understand it, um, 
have someone show you the first time and it's never a weird thing it's like i don't know this particular cut can you show me one time and they'll show you and you'll try to do it and it's like hey do you got it it's like okay i got it um and so just like dropping that ego and um not being afraid to say that you don't know is kind of like a really big thing of just like just saying hey i don't know how to do this being incredibly open of the fact that you might not you're probably going to be the weakest cook in the kitchen but if you just have uh, a willingness to learn and you don't get upset uh being corrected uh particularly in situations that are uh very time sensitive like the pressure cooker of a kitchen if you can just kind of go through that then um people are more than willing to like give you a chance yeah that's that's a very very good tip of all the jobs that i've worked i've never worked at a restaurant mostly it was like kind of like cafeteria food in like yellowstone for like a month but that doesn't really like count i wouldn't think but so i don't know a ton about you know that kind of industry so are you at are you still like are you at cook are you like sous chef or like what kind of like where are you currently on your like uh i mean path? as far as like uh official title like I've definitely been the person that like wasn't the chef, but was like maybe like the lead cook. Uh, I've worked on like a lot of like mainly like smaller teams where maybe that hierarchy isn't so obvious. Like there's like okay. the chef and then the people below it. Uh, a lot of the jobs I worked at were like smaller programs. So one or two people could run uh, it mm. where it w- maybe wasn't like a larger institutional kitchen or some big like Michelin restaurant that has like, you know, 100, 200 cooks or whatever it is. Um, so like I could, I could say like lead kitchen or, or like lead line cook has definitely been something. Uh, and some of the roles I've definitely been the person that had to do the ordering and like even the training and like show people the menu. Uh, but like, I, I wouldn't say that I have ever like officially been a Sue or even like okay. a chef. I'm just, uh, kind of just like a journeyman line cook. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, where you're at now, do you have quite a bit of like freedom to just like create new things as you wish, or is it, is it a pretty strict menu? Like same thing every day. Um, as far as like, I'm, I'm currently not in the, the restaurant industry. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So, um, when I, when I left farms, I didn't actually end up, um, uh, going back to, to restaurants. Um, I'm still kind of in this like period, what I've kind of been referring to as like a culinary grad school. And so like farming was kind of uh, about that. And it's more just kind of, I'm super into like the food system stuff, but as far as like cooking style in general, again, my, my repertoire is not great. I feel like uh, I like, like very simple things and I, I can kind of uh, create based on ingredients, but I also don't get super fancy with techniques and I, I'm more into um, just showcasing the produce itself. Um, so very minimal stuff. And like, I, I personally don't believe that if you have, uh, I, I personally believe that if, if you have good product, uh, it doesn't really take a whole lot to make it delicious. It kind of sounds like that show, uh, ugly delicious on Netflix. Have you seen this? Uh, I'm not It's David Chang, correct? I think so. I it's been a while since I've seen it, but he's it, basically like it's all about the flavor, like very little aesthetic. Yeah, I would say that that is coming from California. Like to me, that's like a very, very like what used like farm to fork, what used to be known as like California cuisine. It's like a lot, mm-hmm. like basically, you take the product and like maybe a little olive oil and salt, and like it can be good, and you just kind of try not to get in the way with it as much as you can, which for my brain works great because uh, thinking that you have to be like, you know, X amount of different types of uh, equipment and like all these different like fancy techniques or like having to let things sit to me, it didn't really vibe that way. It's like, how can we make this as, as awesome as possible? And for me, it's always been, you know, it's just like a little oil, a little salt, a little citrus, call it good. Yeah. We're, it's it it's beat it's like overused but like the less is more kind of model absolutely absolutely yeah. and and uh i felt like when you get into uh like finer dining um that's still there like you get a little bit more intricate as far as plating is concerned so maybe things are kind of uh 
changed as far as their form. Um, but I still feel like a, a lot of like the, that style can still be, um, yeah, less is more and just kind of letting the, the food be the food in um, the best way possible and not trying to muddy it up too much. Sometimes I feel like um, when you begin cooking, you feel like you have to do like all of this stuff to make food good. And that's really like not the case. Like it's kind of like, like, uh, you know, like, like a Beatles song, like they're very simple. Uh, you don't really need to do a whole lot to make it catchy. Sure. Mm -hmm. It also helps if you have like solid nutritious food to start with. Like the rest is easy. Then it's yes. covering up crappy flavors is half the battle from store-bought, whatever. Absolutely. And so like, um, yeah, if you do, if you are fortunate enough to get food from like a farmer's market or honestly, even some of the stuff that you'd see at a conventional grocery store, I feel like even if it's not super local or super uh, organic, you're better off buying that produce from a big box chain than like trying to work your way out of like a, a craft macaroni and cheese situation. Right. There's, yeah. there's layers. You can't, yeah. it very rarely does somebody make the, the jump from mac and cheese and hot dogs to, you know, farmer's markets or even skipping the farmer's market and going straight to like a farm stand or something like that. Sure. And like something that I would do early on is like, you know, top ramen's a big one. And so like, how do I make this top ramen, but make it a little bit better and maybe not using the packets of flavor. How can I add the flavor to the noodles? So something like in your instance of the craft macaroni and cheese and the hot dogs, like my first instinct is like, okay, how do I recreate this dish? But with, maybe I'm going to make a basic mac and cheese and, and then put the hot dogs in to like elevate it a bit. And then you can yeah. kind of build, build upon that. Yeah. It's uh, you could just do like just cheap, cheap, dirty hot dogs, or you could have, have like a good quality, quality hot dog, or even like a, like pull a sausage or a kielbasa yeah. or something like that. Just absolutely just up it just a little bit. So that, that farm in North Carolina, you said you spent 15, 15 months there. Yeah. About there. So take me, take me through their operation a little bit. So I'm, I'm assuming that they're still in business and like, have they been around a while or. Yeah. The farmer I worked under, like, I think it was like maybe their 12th season. Uh, it was, I would call it or organic. I mean, it was no spray, no till. But I feel like a lot of those words, they now mean different things. So like organic may not necessarily mean what organic was in the 70s. But like, yeah, it was definitely no spray, no, no till. Uh, I would say from my knowledge, it would be like market garden influence. Um, so we were definitely rotating crops and like using uh, cover crops. Um, I didn't really get to see exactly like how far out like their rotation was. But like he did have it kind of planned out at least a little bit to kind of, you know, play the chess moves and know like, okay, if the celery is going in here, what's it going to be? And like, after that comes out to the cover crop, et cetera. Um, a lot of um, my work there was uh, spent doing like the usual farmhand stuff. So a lot, a lot of weeding, a lot of transplanting. Um, we kind of were lucky uh, where there was a, a few different interns there. And so you would kind of be in charge of like your few crops, I guess, like just so like, you know, um, you could see the changes from day to day if you knew something was wrong. Whereas like if someone was covering and they hadn't seen the turnips, for instance, they're not really sure. Okay. Is this what it looked like last week when we got here? Um, and so that was kind of nice because you did get a little bit more intimate knowledge with um, the, the crops that you would watch, um, whether it be like, you know, they grew ginger and they grew turmeric and uh, a bunch of turnips. North Carolina uh, being a large uh, sweet potato uh, producer, we definitely did the sweet potatoes and the Irish potatoes. Um, a lot of, uh, we did like to use the composting. Um, something that was fun that I got to do out there. Are you familiar with a Johnson Sioux bioreactor? Yeah. Uh, we got to build one. And so a bioreactor uh, or a composter? Like the, uh, I use the term bioreactor. I might be using it wrong, but essentially 
it was uh is it is it the cage with the, the cage. pipes in yeah. the middle and yep. okay yeah to make like crazy like grade a compost yes and so we'd worked on one that he had built previously they really enjoyed it and so we ended up building two more and um the compost was really cool the process of building it uh was really cool because of i really enjoy um how simple it is and like the fact that it was kind of designed uh with the idea of anyone anywhere in the world no matter like what are common things that we could make this out of i really enjoyed the philosophy of that and um the idea of you know being able to source as much as you can on on farm instead of having to bring stuff in all the time we made another bigger compost pile um out of like a chicken litter and like just scraps and um that kind of stuff. And like, I don't know how big it was, but it took us nine hours to mix. We had two people kind of spraying things down, mixing it with like a tractor. Uh, it was very involved, but it was like really cool. And then you let it like, um, I forget if they tarped it and they're like blowing air through like the pipe. Uh, and it had to get, you know, above a certain degree for X amount of days for it to kind of activate. Um, but uh, I mentioned the compost twice now, cause this is kind of what I meant where I went in thinking I, from a chef's eyes, but I got really into soil and like learning about soil and composting and that kind of stuff got um, really exciting to me. And especially uh, working with the pigs and seeing what they're able to do as we rotate them around through the land. Um, but yeah, they had, uh, I don't know, like 65 people in a CSA um, that we would do. That's and a good then, size. Yeah. And then obviously because of the pandemic stuff, they also started doing I, I know a lot of, they started doing online sales too, pick up on the farm, but uh, folks liked it. And especially, you know, people at the time you're trying to keep your distance, you can we'd pack all the stuff in beforehand and then they can come to the farm and just pick it up themselves. So there, there was kind of like a, a lot going on um, now that I think about it, but like when you're in it, you're just kind of trying to get it done. Right. Uh, right. But then, yeah, every week uh, they would travel uh, into the Charlotte market and, um, that was always a, a crazy day. Um, very, very busy, but very, very fun. So, so they had traditional like vegetables, I'm assuming, um, some fruits as well. Maybe, maybe some nut trees. Do they have livestock as well? Uh, just the pigs. Just I the pigs. They, yeah. I guess they had tried at one point like chickens. I'm not sure if that was just for a personal purpose or not, but they kind of gotten rid of the chickens. So as far as like animals that were on farm, um, it was just the pigs. Uh, there was like a, uh, an orchard project that was like not, it was very young, so it wasn't producing, but um, they grew like some pawpaws and uh, I could be remembering incorrectly, but I want to say like persimmon and maybe even like a, like, ch like ch chestnuts perhaps. Sure. Yep. Uh, um, I think is kind of what it was. And so I didn't get to spend a whole lot of time out there. Uh, aside from like, you know, every six months or so, we kind of moved the tubes or something. It was a very young um, orchard. So uh, the but most of the stuff that we were selling was like, yeah, like traditional crops, lots of lettuce, uh, arugula, herbs, um, tomatoes. Uh, oops. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Uh one thing that we got to do, I apologize. That's right. But the fact that this interview is just happening and we don't have like this weird pong noise, uh, yeah. where this is, this is fine. This is fine. Okay. Um, one thing that we got to do was, um, we'd swapped over. They had, they would do the tomatoes, uh, in these two big high tunnels. Um, and, but when, Towards the end of my time there, we had transitioned to, I forget what the exact system's called, but it's like, uh, it's like with wiring and you kind of like lower and lean them uh, a little bit. So you're not, you're not clipping them up with um, the plastic clips and the twine. It's actually just this one like, like styrofoamy clip that would go and you would run these like hooks along it. So you didn't have to like, clip them up all the time and it kind and it, you could kind of just like lower them down and like lean them. I wish I could remember what the name of that system was. It was very cool. 
and it definitely was a lot better than the traditional we would do you know the twine up and then clip them with the plastic clips every so often so it's like trellising a tomato plant yes but but and he, I, I believe that he found it from like he said it was like really big with like the dutch farmers would really do it um i forget i could, would could remember what the name of that system was because it was very cool and i hadn't seen anything like that before dutch Tomato farming. I don't know. Oh, advanced greenhouses in the Netherlands. Tomato farming. That looks cool. Let me let me see if I can pull this up. Let me share this. Let me sh- let me share this really quick. See if anything looks familiar here. Does it look like this stuff? Kind of. Yeah, kind of. And so, like, yeah, those hooks will kind of run along, like, uh, the wiring up top. And that way you're able to, like, lean them instead of having to clip them up as they go all the way up. Hmm. Um, it definitely cut down on labor and was, like, a lot cleaner. Cool. And obviously, like, uh, things like those, those plastic clips are quite wasteful because once you clip them, you can't use them again. Oh, Okay. And so it was definitely a way to kind of lower that footprint. Um, this looks nice. Looks like easy to harvest too. Yes. And so like down below, it would be a lot cleaner, like uh, uh, kind of where the, the plants would meet the bed. And right. that was like really, really cool. Okay. So here's, you got kind of like a zoomed in view of like one of these hooks. Is this... This is not this is not what you're talking about. No, it's, it's the, not a the hook. Thing, the thing that would clamp to okay, so the hooks would go up top, like on the wire, and that's kind of what you would move it along. But what I'm talking about is it's kind of like almost like a sponge, and it would clip around. But you you would clip the plant itself, whereas before you'd have the twine, you take the clip, and you'd clip it through the twine onto the plant. This held the plant the entire time. And so really you could kind of, you're, you're, you're lo- being able to lower the plant by running it along the wire. So you're actually kind of laying the plant down. So odd. Um, instead of having to go up and down with the twine. Cause when you hmm. would do it that way, the plant would stay vertical the entire time, but being able to lean it, you could get better access. Um, and, and again, yeah, like not having to use that twine and those clips, uh, it cuts down on your waste because as long as you know you're taking care of it, they could probably last five, ten seasons um, once you get everything set up. Nice, yeah. If you if you think about the name or come across it or something like that, you should you should send it to me. I'm curious because it's uh, yeah, I'm having a hard time picturing um, how this how this works exactly. But yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, so the pigs, your favorite part, yeah. the pigs. Yes. Uh, is it? Is it because like interacting with livestock is a little bit more exciting for you than interacting like with like plants? Because plants don't have a personality. I want to say that. Yes. um, I found pigs to be incredibly curious and funny. Um, I did really enjoy having that ownership um, over them, probably more so than uh, the crops, I really enjoyed the crops, but yeah, maybe cause it was like a, a live animal. It was really interesting how much personality pigs have, but not just as a pig, but the individual ones within the herd where you could kind of figure out each one. Um, something that I like enjoy from that, like a, a little tidbit of those is I would get into the pit to feed them, right? Buckets of feed. And, um, They'd get to a, a certain point when they were big and it happened multiple times where they would chase me and like they would like to nip at my boots. And like it's all it was always when they're like big and like you would kind of like just go around the feeder to keep it between you because I mean they're big. I don't want to deal with them or you could kind of just put your boot up and kind of just scoot them a little bit. Um, but yeah, it happened more than once, probably three or five times over the course in different herds where they would get to a certain size and they would just chase you until they could like nip at your boot and like run away. Like it was almost like very, it was never malicious, but it was like playful, but because they're large animals, 
it, it, it does kind of mess you up. So it's like, get away. But um, yeah, that was something I didn't, I wouldn't have known about pigs uh, unless I had um, that kind of knowledge. And like, um, yeah, they're just like very, very social and like, uh, um, yeah, cu- curious is kind of the word that I, I use. They they know just enough to kind of get into trouble, and like they're very good <laughs> at getting into trouble. Um, and so yeah, like just kind of that interaction, um, I I really enjoyed. Uh, we'd gotten like a pretty big snowstorm while I was there, and like it was like uh, like fourteen inches overnight or something. And I uh, I I remember it was the first thing I thought of, and like they weren't necessarily close. I had to like hike up the property to get to the pigs but it was like the first thing mm. i checked on i put all my stuff on and like hiked uphill in the snow to go check in on my pigs and they were obviously fine and loving it but i didn't know if like maybe did the fence go down and now they're out or something it ended up being fine but um i just it was just something i, I really really enjoyed what breed of pig i wish i could tell you uh we didn't breed on site uh, we sourced them from a couple of places. There were two different farmers that we would get. Um, one of the, 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 they're like the ones that were, they're like mostly black, but they'd have maybe like a beige stripe over their shoulder. Um, mm. I know that I probably had been told the name, but at this point I, I kind of forget it. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then we would kind of get these like regular pink looking pigs sometimes from like a more <clears throat> conventional farmer. So like, in some ways we felt like we were like rescuing them because like they would be born inside and then we'd be able to bring them and they were raised outside. Um, and um, definitely the, the pigs that were born inside were, were like, I guess more of like a weenie, like they were kind of soft in the beginning. They didn't really know what to do with being outside. That transition was always uh, pretty interesting um, to me, but uh, yeah, just kind of overall of like working with animals and like, especially uh working with animals that you know that were going to become food, knowing that they were like dealt with, with like dignity and love that like, even if they are going to be taken away and they're going to be slaughtered that like, I still felt good having someone eat that food. Like I, I, it was like, to me, I was able to uh, reconcile it with, within myself that like, Hey, I've given these pigs love. And so that love is going to extend to my community and the people that uh, buy this food. As opposed to, you know, when they cram them into feedlots, uh, it's not really such a great way to live. So were they, do you think the, do you, if you remember, were the pigs out like on pasture or were they in a pig pen or? We would rotate um, them. In a, like a forest. So sometimes they would be in like the wooded area. Sometimes they would be on pasture. We would probably rotate them, let's say every couple of months. I don't know how big of a square footage we'd end up giving them, but we'd have like 10 at a time. And so enough for them to kind of work through that without causing too much damage. Uh, we'd move them a little sooner if like maybe we had gotten extra rain just because they, they do like to, to wallow in it and kind of mess up the land a little bit quicker. We'd have to move them. Right. But yeah, sometimes they'd be outside. Uh, we'd always make sure that they had like a shaded area because they don't really do great uh, in direct sun. They like the shade. But yeah, mm. there were areas that were wooded that they would get worked through as well. Um, which um, at least aesthetically, I always enjoyed uh, going to visit pigs uh, in the woods uh, as opposed to on pasture, only just being among the trees is nice. And then all of a sudden there comes some pigs coming out. It's like, it was a very uh, peaceful time to go and spend some time with them and just make sure that they're fine. Uh, What, what were your accommodations like? uh, I lived in a tiny home. Hey, neat. Yeah. Super neat. It was a very, uh, private. Um, I never really had like an issue. Like I had a tiny little space heater. And so I, and I mean, in the winter time, you can just always wear more clothes, right? Like wearing base layers and extra sweatshirts is fine. Unfortunately, the summer in the South, there's only so much you could do. So like, even though you had a fan and you're trying to circulate as best you can, the humidity is going to smother you regardless. So but yeah, like they were, it was like really nice. There was like a basic, like, you know, like a stove set up in there and like a mini fridge. And so, I mean, I don't know one person, it was great. Uh, I don't know if like you had to share it as like a couple, if that, like how great that would be, but right. I always, I found, I found it to be very, very comfortable. I was, I was going to make a comment about, um, 
about being in winter and like you can always add on more clothes. I was going to say that's true until you don't have any more to add. I, I, uh, I also, I did woofing for something like six weeks uh, in Montana. Not, not where I'm at now, but like outside Bozeman, that area in the winter. And the heat went out in my little like cabin. I'm already in a negative 40 degree sleeping bag and had Buffalo hide that they had on top of me. And I guess I was just warm enough, but like a lot of, a lot of things froze in my cabin. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I doubt, I I bet that that, that winter is there. You're right. In those situations, there is only so much that you can do. Um, Yeah. Man. But yeah, as far as the, the South, it was, I mean, the only the one, the only really the one snowstorm. Sure, it would frost and stuff, but it was very doable. So, was there a, another farm that you went to after this one ended? Um, yeah, I did some stuff. Uh, I'd gone back to California for a little bit and kind of helped out for like just a tiny bit as I was trying to figure some things out. I'd even I I ended up spending like um uh like about a month or six weeks or so um in idaho not really on a farm because it was in the winter but like running they were wholesale potato farmers so i would do like runs from the warehouse and they had some like wholesale accounts that i would do drops on and so i did get to experience that winter of like what a negative 27 feels like it's quite painful um and then I did work for a little bit uh, on a farm in Oklahoma, just getting their like their beds set up, like kind of just like some gig work. And uh, they had some chickens and uh, some rabbits, and I'd never really worked with either of those um, before. Uh, chickens, I, I do really, I, I enjoy them. I think collecting eggs is great. And but I do overall, I, I miss the pigs. I, there's just something about them. <laughs> are you are you in oklahoma now then uh yeah I, I i'm i'm currently uh in oklahoma here i had family out this way and so um it ended up after i kind of figured a couple years on the road was enough um it was a, a easy uh transition to just kind of come back here i i had uh, last summer when i was still kind of road tripping around i i made my way through here and was able to like you know drop some stuff off and and that kind of thing, and then kind of kept it going, and then just kind of looped back around within like another six months or so. But yeah, I'll be here um, probably going forward, and um, kind of just figuring out what like the the next move would be. Um, I'm not quite sure. I still am very much into food, and I'm very much into farming. I'm not quite sure if chefing or farming as a farmer is kind of what the ne- that next move uh, will be, if that makes sense. It's like yeah. kind of now trying to, I think, process the, the experience I had as a cook and what I've kind of thought about over the last few years um, in regards to agriculture and like what that looks like going forward. But I'd say like my main like vocational interest is still very much within the food system and especially trying to figure out how... Um, those improvements can be made, especially because of uh, all like the supply chain stuff that we saw in 2020 where everything just kind of broke and like, what happens if there's no restaurants to eat at? And like, there's no way to get ship cargo in and everything like goes empty because the whole thing just kind of snaps. And so that's been kind of um, like a thinking point for me. It's something I like to ponder about. What do you think the future of food looks like? Uh, I hope that it's something a little more regional and a little more decentralized. And the reason the decentralized, I feel like is another one of those words that can mean uh, several different things, but I feel like um, we depended so much on the system, the way it was not thinking about what could happen if something broke that like it, it didn't really have any resiliency. There was no way that you could shut down uh, just one sector of it and like something else can pick up. Um, it just kind of broke. My kind of understanding of the food system 
uh, over the last few years is that we definitely need more farmers, right? That like that was kind of the, the main initiative of me going to North Carolina in the first place was like, okay, well, if things are broken, we just need more farmers. And like, this is a way that I can be useful. Um, but I do recognize that uh, maybe the way that we have things set up for Oklahoma is not going to work for Montana and it's not going to work for um, North Carolina, et cetera. And so like, I kind of wonder if we eventually end up <clears throat> in this situation where there's just kind of two systems in parallel. And what I mean by that is we obviously are going to have uh, big ag and like the way that we have things set up is kind of geared towards like commodity grain and soy and all that kind of stuff and like the bigger farms in California. But there needs to be more um, farms like regionally. We should be able to feed our cities and like the community around yourself a little bit easier without having to depend on California to bring produce to Montana or to bring it to Oklahoma. And so what does that look like? Is it all just stuff in the ground? Is it a mixture of that and hydroponics or aquaponics? I know that, that we can, that there's like the disagreements between the organic camp about whether or not we can call hydroponics and aquaponics organic if there's no organic matter, which is a great like little tidbit to harp on, but I do still feel like they both serve a purpose. And so because one can't be labeled organic doesn't mean we should um, dismiss it entirely. But um, there is also a lot more, there's a program that um, is in Oklahoma that one of the food banks is a part of. And it was a, came about with all the COVID money of like local, local procurement. I'm sorry, I always mess that word up. But essentially they're giving an outlet to small scale farmers where they can sell their produce guaranteed. The farmers, the, you know, they're sourcing it to the food bank hey, we'll buy it. It keeps our farmers afloat. And then on top of that, we don't have to give people that utilize the services of a food bank Kraft Mac and Cheese anymore. We can now have more produce that goes to them, which I feel like is win-win. And so I wonder if we see more of that. I know that there's also been a big um, push as far as like farm to school movement. Uh, there's like um, um, an organization called Brigade and uh, a chef kind of got together of like, why can't we serve good food in schools? And so they've, they've kind of plugged in these chefs and you know a handful of programs across the country. I don't know exactly how many they have, but as a way to kind of get uh, fresh produce and good food in through our schools as well. And so I feel like we're kind of starting to find other ways outside of just looking in a restaurant. Like I feel like the quote unquote farm to table movement has to grow outside of culinary like culinary in the sense of like fine dining or restaurants and how can we institutionalize it in a way so that there is more more of those available and so whether it's your local food bank or through a school um how can we get more of these mini community <coughs> gardens to like provide that produce uh, i just kind of feel like we need a lot more tiny steps it does it's not going to be one big thing that we do overnight it's how do we get more people to grow in the cities? And so is that figuring out a way to get around HOA rules that usually want us to have lawns instead of food? Is it changing ordinances of zoning so that we can have that community garden where normally they wouldn't have allowed that to happen? Um, kind of just kind of rethinking it all together in different ways. And that's where I feel like chefs and also farmers can play a big role because a lot of it has to do with education and advocacy. And I think that that transitions with like platforms like yours, like uh, people that are able to talk and like anyone's gonna be able to listen to this, right? It's not just like a farmers only kind of a conversation where we're talking shop. You and I talking shop or the other people that you talk shop, uh, the average listener that just wants to know about food is able to listen to that. And maybe they're able to understand the situation in their community a little bit more and then they're able to talk to someone at some board or um, a city council or something to make those changes. But it's not so much of like, oh, all big attic is bad because it's like, okay, well, what do we replace it with? The metaphor I like to use is I feel like um, the system is crumbling and we are currently rebuilding what will replace it. 
Yeah, I I kept I kept thinking about this tweet that that happened this week. So like, yes, we need more farmers, but I think more than that, we'd also need more people buying from local farms. So like, yeah. I think um I think you're familiar with Long Story Farms and uh, Homestead Padre and like th- like that group. They they kind of made a they made a comment from you know somebody in their community saying, you know, oh man, I'm so glad I I know you. So like when something goes bad, you know, I I've got you there. And like if you don't buy from me now, I'm not gonna sell to you. I'm not saving you a spot. Yeah, if it's, things it's go like bad, all goes to hell. Yeah. Yeah, like I need to be around now so that I'm available later. Like, you see how this works? So, um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I I do think that that we do that. You're right that we and that's kind of what I liked about that farm or the food the farm to food bank program is it is kind of like keeping those small guys to be able to hang on. Like, hey, you have a market. I will buy all of your broccoli right now, mm-hmm. and then it can pass on. But the way I think about chefs is we kind of have to, this is where it may get a little off. We have to think about food differently. Food doesn't need to be meat. It doesn't have to look like a restaurant meal. And so a lot of it is like, well, I don't know how to make the things that I eat at a restaurant. Well, that's great. That's not really what food is. Food is the nourishment in which we put in our body. Me, the, the most common thing that I'll cook is something that'll just be a big bot, pot, like a big bowl of something. Maybe you put an egg on top of it and then you shovel it in your mouth and like it's delicious and nutritious, cost effective. And so having chefs who do know how to cook, maybe showcase that a little bit more that like food doesn't need to be fine dining. Food doesn't need to be that burger and French fry. It can be just what we are able to use as fuel, which is what it's supposed to be. Because like when I think of a restaurant, restaurants, they're entertainment. They're not necessarily food, even though that they're food, if that makes sense. Like we go because we like, like, like an experience. experience. Yes. And so the food that you make where you just have whatever is in your pantry and you kind of whip it together to keep yourself going is no less food than the burger and the fries you eat at a restaurant. Uh, it's just different. And, and so not having folks not be so scared about food where it has to be this certain thing it has to be able to be plated pretty we have to be able to instagram it that's not necessarily food i mean it is and it's beautiful and uh i agree like i love all of those things but if all that stuff went away we would still need to eat and we would find a way to do it and so there's education from the farmer about how do we produce the food but i do also believe that there's opportunity for uh chefs or cooks to be able to think about um other ways to uh showcase food that isn't just like uh something artistic or you know this is my creative vision like how do i practically just feed people healthy food at a reasonable price and like how can they do it on their own and not maybe necessarily have to depend on restaurants the long game on restaurants i still don't like i know that they're back i don't think that they're here to stay like i i feel really yeah and I know that I'll probably get pushed back on that. I think that what will end up happening is the automation has kind of already happened, um, especially if you think of the inflation of what even going to McDonald's now costs, what it used to cost. McDonald's has a fully automated uh, restaurant in, I want to say Dallas. I think it's in Texas, though, where no one works there. And you just drive through and you get your Big Mac and you move on. And I don't think that there's really anything like wrong with that. I think that like if you want to be chefy, I think the idea of a food truck or even just like a pop-up where you're maybe not having all of the costs associated with producing creative food all the time. Um, but I mean, you are going to end up, the, I feel like the only thing left would be like the very high-end fine dining where it's costing three to $500 to dine there just because of, you know, if you think about labor costs and sourcing and building materials and it's not cheap to stay in business. And like, like we've seen, it can go away very quickly and the margins are already very thin. And I kind of am curious of like what like a DoorDash style ghost kitchen environment looks like 
Uh, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Like I, I, would I go there all the time? No. Would I prefer to cook for myself or uh, maybe go to like that, you know, that weekly like burger pop-up? Sure. I'd rather do that maybe, but the, just kind of what I see, like the apple, just like the middle of the road, Applebee's style, the menu's kind of the same no matter what restaurant you go to. I, I don't really know how they last long-term. Yeah, that's a really good question. Because I was just, I was trying to think. It sounds it sounds outlandish, right? Like, hey, restaurants aren't here to stay. Mm-hmm. But I guess if you think about like, were there restaurants in medieval times? Sure. I I don't know. I'm not I a historian. I, I've never heard anybody ask that question. Like, and again, like I still think that you will be able to go out and get food. It just won't be what it was. I feel like that it'll look completely like, different. Yeah. And I think a lot of it's like the food trucks or, you know, the, the chef that does his burger pop up once a month, but maybe that changes chef dinners that are now on a farm that happen. So you can kind of incorporate that whole experience. So you don't need to get the millions of dollars that it costs to build a restaurant and to try to stay in business, particularly because like, if you think about the restaurant business as a whole, it's completely subsidized by alcohol sales. And so like at that point, like most of it is like a a bar that serves food, even if it's marketed to you as like a fine dining program that happens Mm. to have a really expensive wine program. That's, it's definitely the booze that's keeping that afloat. Um, And so it's a lot more accessible. I feel like if you're just a guy that wants to cook um, to not have to get the liquor license, to not have to get the building, to not have to get, all this stuff and you could partner with a chef or a farm and say hey like saturday june the whatever do you want to do a pop-up and like it kind of is like win-win and then that way during the lean times you don't have to continue to pay a lease um or anything like that um i just kind of feel like we're in this like false finish after the covid like i think it popped back but that it might not necessarily um Stay in the way that we think it should. Um, it's just thoughts, and I know that again. Yeah, that like um, you think that it's crazy, like I mean a life or uh, um, a world without restaurants. But I, who would have thought that anything in the last few years would have been something, right? Like that's true. Try talking to yourself from 2015, like what what 2020 to 2023 would look like. You'd probably laugh. Yeah, I, maybe maybe restaurants came back because people wanted like that feeling of normalcy. Like, like I want to go out to eat. I want to go see a movie. I want to, you know, just have things as they were. And so like, maybe, yeah, maybe it's this false rebound. Not sure. I don't know. Have you thought about starting? like your own thing more along the lines of what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So like the metaphor that I like to use, I think coming from a musical background, I use, I kind of compare the music industry, the restaurant industry um, a lot. And the way that I think about it is if you were to compare like a chef to a band, a band doesn't need a building to be a band. They will rent a building and they'll have a show and you don't necessarily have to have, those shows all the time for people to even be interested in your band. And so I see that as a much more agile solution to food. And even in the sense of like renting a ghost kitchen. um, And I just think that there, there will be, it'll, it won't be as solidified as like, okay, this is Dan's burger shack. And like, I live here because of the fact that economically it already was a bad choice. And I just feel like it's an even crazier choice that like what we see what happens when the economy tanks like it's even more fragile than what we had even anticipated even you know 10 years ago when things were good and everyone wanted to be uh in the food game and so i just think that there's a lot more creativity that can be involved as far as like in the restaurant industry than just being like okay well this is how it's always been and i'm going to be a chef and i'm going to own a restaurant I mean, before you could be a sole proprietor and now you need a group 
to be able just to afford the costs and you have to take on investors. And um, I just see other ways for that to be dealt with than just feeling like you need to be um, in a building. I just, um, yeah, I just, I feel like there are a lot more changes and we might, like I said, be in this like little false recovery period because of the fact that, yes, I get it. I get why people wanted to go back. But even if you go to the restaurant that, that you used to like with the increased cost of labor and food and all this stuff, when you get the bill lately, I, when I get it, I don't know if it's worth what I'm paying anymore, if that makes sense. And that's no, it absolutely does. So yeah. Like at what point do maybe people, they're a little bit more um, incentivized to learn how to cook. Like maybe you're just like, I just can't, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to learn how to cook. And um, I wonder if that just kind of, increases more we saw it during the pandemic right like everyone got really into bread you couldn't get flour or yeast for like a few months at some point um so maybe that ends up being something else that like now there can be a farm to home program where you're kind of the the home becomes the restaurant and you're able to do wholesale to people that are really into making bread at home or whatever that is the cottage food laws are also really really good lately too because of that so Maybe we see more home-based food businesses. Um, I know Oklahoma is like really good as far as like what they actually allow you to sell out of your house up to a certain amount, uh, dollar amount. Right. Yeah. You're giving me, you're giving me some ideas like what, what the future of like, let's say food or restaurants could look like. So, so like, like, let's say like a hair salon, you have to, uh, some of them you have to pay like, like you have to rent out the chair. Let's say it's like, whatever $400 a month for like this Mm -hmm. chair but you you know customers come in get like a steady stream you get bookings blah 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 what if you paired something like that with like let's say like a food court type type environment and so like you could have and it's you know come come in at the the chefs would come in at four go to their stations doors open at five they go until like nine or something like that and you know hey you know dan's over here he does burgers matt's over here he does you know like steaks or something and you know there'd be like four or five options just like a small food court and maybe like the um availability would like rotate so you really be on like two maybe three nights a a week in order to just like give all these other you know part-time chefs a chance you know at a at a gig or something i don't know i don't know what it would look like but yeah um, but yeah i like the i like the band analogy i think that could work that could work really well yeah and it's like um there was um a bar that i used to go to and uh they ended up opting out of like a food program and like, but what they did was they would let like, like little food carts or food trucks set up in front of their bar. And that became its own thing because you would go to the bar, not necessarily because you wanted to get a drink or a beer. It was, oh, like, what could I eat? Oh, there's tacos out or, oh, there's bacon wrapped hot dogs tonight. Or like, there's a pizza guy or like you would go, it became another experience altogether where instead of if that you know, bar just had its normal menu, you knew what was there because it's the same thing every night. Like it just kind of becomes this rotating thing. Kind of similar like when you would go, you know, to like a comedy club, you know, like, oh, who's who's up tonight or a band? What, oh, what band's playing tonight? Like it sure. could be, it, I think that that variety, it gives, it becomes more democratic and it gives, for me, the consumer, like I would rather have something different than, you know, there's, there's obviously going to be the corporate giants, you know, the demolition man analogy of like, in the end, there's only going to be Taco Bells is like very true. But um, I still think as far as like um, where the creativity at, it'll be the super, super high end guys, you know, the French laundries of the world, or maybe something like this. Um, But it'll be interesting over the next, you know, several years, kind of what happens. Yeah, it'll it'll be crazy. So what is what is your kind of like plans look like or I guess uh like big picture? Are you trying to 
get out on some land to do the farming or are you trying to are you leaning more towards more like being a chef uh in the way if you had to choose it, if i had to choose because in my head i still feel like there's a way to do it all and like i still feel i'm like sure there the is yeah of being, yeah of, of of it all kind of being like its own funnel like you know being able to like work on farms is definitely um something i would like to do um the stuff with like the food banks I'm super interested in like the idea of like maybe becoming a buyer somewhere and being able to, you know, leverage that experience of knowing what it's like to talk to chefs and knowing what it's like to talk to farmers and kind of being, I, I feel like if there's a lot of value for me there, I, if you had to put me on the spot now, I don't see myself full-time chefing or full-time farming. Um, but I do believe that both of them have been incredibly valuable to not just like my career, but like my life. Like there's, there's so many lessons in both of them that they are invaluable. And um, especially with them together, it's like, it's, it's opened like a, a whole nother like level of like going down the rabbit hole uh, for me. And it's like, it is really exciting, especially on like the supply chain stuff of like, how can we just make this more accessible to everyone um, and support our farmers, but also maybe have a little bit more of uh, education and stuff and incentives to get people to cook a little bit themselves. Uh, I use this analogy a lot in the fact that I feel like um, um, food as a whole, I, I see it, it has become um, a culture of consumption and not a culture of connection or community. And like, we like to go to these restaurants because we like to Instagram about them but we don't really, we're, we're observers. Like we're not really having anything to do with the process. And again, I don't want to put down Instagram or people that like to support that way, but I feel like there's opportunity for people to understand that you can contribute to both. And like everyone eats, there's a way that like, you know, potlucks used to be a thing and like uh, all this other stuff that I, I feel like in the last like 10 or 20 years, we've kind of lost that as far as like our food culture is concerned. And it's just kind of become more about like the consuming and not necessarily like the contributing to uh, culture or community. And so, um, yeah, I feel like uh, I like talking about this stuff. So I feel like I, I may have value as like a communicator in, in that regard uh, of like, how can we, make things better for everyone um, to get better food into people's bellies, to keep farmers who uh, steward land in responsible manners to allow them to continue to be in business. Cause that's not always financially incentivized uh, to do with light to the land and to the people. Um, yeah. I, I think that, I think the fact that I feel like there's so much work to, to be done makes it like hopeful in like a weird way. Cause you, you know, there's something to do there's like a, 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 there's always kind of something to do. And that's kind of always what it is in a kitchen, but also on a farm. Like there's literally always something to do. Yeah. And uh, I feel like um, explaining that more to maybe folks that don't have those experiences, whether working in a restaurant or how food is grown um, and just kind of getting people to think about food differently and like, not that it's necessarily bad or not that like everyone's going to be eating bugs or like any of like those things, but like, how do we just think about it a little bit differently? And that just because we can't have the thing that we want at any moment that we want it, it doesn't mean that like the world's ending. Like, it's just like, you just kind of think about it differently. Sure. I think that's a great, yeah. great place to wrap up on. Will you let people know where they can find you and follow you? Sure. I'm on Twitter. Um, it's at Dan Vanderpool underscore. So D-A-N-V-A-N-D-E-R-P-O-O-L underscore. I'm also on Instagram at I'm Dan Vanderpool. So I am Dan Vanderpool. <laughs> um, and uh, I usually will post. I, I, I write occasionally on the internet and I'll usually post links to that uh, on either of those accounts. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I learned a lot. Really cool. Made yeah, me think about you. stuff. Thank you. It's been great.
I am Matt DeRosier of Farm Hop Life. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to subscribe and visit farmhoplife.com. Inside of the city, the people are crazy. Out of their minds, they ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends, all I got now is you. We both got new jobs, a house and a homestead, thinking this was the life, all that there'd be. After our firstborn, you had to stay home. That's when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started farm hop life. We'll come to your farm to help and to truck and an RV send us a message and